Welcome to Negotiating Brexit, the Views from the Member States podcast. This is a series for anyone interested in Brexit and the UK's future relations with its European neighbours. We look at viewpoints that are not always well known in the UK. I'm Hussein Kassim, Professor of Politics at the University of East Anglia and a Senior Fellow of the UK and Changing Europe. And I'm Cleo Davis, Senior Research Associate at UEA. Today we are looking at Spain and Brexit. We're delighted to welcome our guests, Ignacio Molina and Salvador Laudes. Ignacio Molina is Senior Analyst at the Elcano Royal Institute and Lecturer at the Department of Politics and International Relations at the Autonomous University of Madrid. He holds a PhD in Political Science from the same university, an MA in Social Sciences from the Juan March Institute in Madrid, a Master's in EU Law and two BAs in Law and Political Science from the University of Granada. He's the author of many books and journal articles and has advised numerous institutions. He works on Spain in the EU, the EU, and has followed Brexit closely. Salvatore Laudis is an Associate Fellow at the German Council on Foreign Relations. He is the co-chair of the Observatory on European Union and an adjunct professor on EU integration at the IE University. He was senior advisor to the Spanish EU minister, has been an analyst on European affairs at the Elcano Royal Institute and started his professional career at the Center for European Policy Studies in Brussels. He holds degrees from the universities of Complutense, the Autonomous University of Madrid and the Diplomatic School of Spain. So the UK imagines that national capitals have been as preoccupied by Brexit as the UK. How much attention has Brexit commanded in Spanish political circles, the Spanish media or public opinion in Spain? Well, uh, I would say that Brexit has attracted very much attention in Spain, in particular when you compare to the average that normally European uh, integration news and normally uh, attracting regarding a public opinion or attention coverage in the in the in the in the newspapers on on television time, I think it has been a, a an attention that well depends on not 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 sustained for four years, but it was very 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 high in during the referendum 2016, and then in particular at the end of 2018 when the ratification of the of the of the Brexit deal. Uh, uh, and of course, uh, when you look to the to the institutions uh, and in the parliament, for example, a special subcommittee was created. The government, even if there was a change of the color in 2018, uh, part of the of the staff uh, leading the European Union policy of Spain was kept in office, and they, they, they didn't reshuffle uh, precisely because they they wanted to to maintain the same people uh, leading the negotiations. Uh, and also when you look to the, to the companies, when you look to the regions, when you look to the unions, uh, you see that they have organized several seminars, meetings. So I really think that they have been quite concerned and the, and the process has been followed. Let me add something to, to what Nacho mentioned, uh, which is the fact that inside the administration, I think there was a uh, lot of concern uh, regarding this issue, because everyone knows that it's so important for for Spain as a whole because of their mutual interests and a lot of people that live and uh, come here to Spain regarding tourism, uh, for instance, but also people that, that live here and have a house here, but also people who, who go from here to, to the UK and so on, and, and commercial ties. And, you know, because of those so many factors uh, that are in place, everyone in the administration uh, has been consistently 
uh, aware of the fact that, that this is important for Spain and, and have been paying lots of attention, not only from the political point of view, but also from the administrative point of view. This has been seen generally, uh, you know, in, for instance, in, in the, the, the creation of several groups, internal groups, such as, for instance, the working group, the Brexit working group inside um, the administration, and, but also the, the, the focal point group, which is something that, uh, you know, uh, brings together uh, everyone from different ministries and, uh, you know, put together all the things that are important for the administration as a whole. And then, of course, uh, gives lots of uh, information for those who have to handle the, the negotiations from the Spanish side. Uh, to also go then uh, to, to to Brussels and to talk to the to the negotiators themselves and to uh, you know bring the voice the voice of the different parts of uh, of the country uh, as a whole. Uh, having that in in mind, just to add something else, uh, Nacho was very very brief on that, but I think it's very important to underline that when uh, the referendum took place in 2016, the results of the referendum, uh, you know, uh, were. Uh, were given to the public uh, only a couple of days before the, the national elections um, in Spain. And because of that, there was a, a coverage that honestly, in my entire life, I hadn't seen anything uh, comparable uh, when it comes to, to European policy, let's say. Uh, you know, all the information um, in, the, in the newspapers, uh, in the, you know, in the television, the radios, everyone was, you know, uh, so interested and, and, and everyone also in the streets talking about this. And this is something that I think needs to be underlined as well. If, if I may, uh, uh, well, uh, it's, it's obvious that, that the, the relation, the commercial relation is very strong. It's also very obvious that, and there are interests regarding uh, fisheries or the issue of Gibraltar. But I, I would say that the most important uh, uh, the dimension of the Spanish uh, approach to the Brexit is the people-to-people -people relation. It's probably uh, very clear. I think so many Britons living in Spain or of course traveling to Spain as a tourist uh, and, and, and the mutual dependence because also so many Spaniards living in particularly London. No? So, so I really think that this people-to-people -people dimension has uh, implied this, this attention and, and uh, to follow the process in the, in the last four years. Well, thank you both for that, that really good introduction there and the emphasis you've put on uh, public opinion, the media and so on, the general context, also what the government has done. Uh, going now more towards political parties and, and the impact of the referendum. Some in the UK and elsewhere anticipated a domino effect across Europe. And was there any evidence uh, that Brexit had an impact or resonance in domestic politics, politically, political party positioning, perhaps, in Spain? Well, as I said, um, when the referendum took place in uh, June 2016, uh, we, had, we had elections um, only three days afterwards here in Spain. So uh, basically, I think that there was an effect then. Um, because, you know, the, the political party that was in power back then, PP, a party was a establishment party, of course, and and I think that um, you know there was a possibility of uh, having a, a strong force um, in Podemos, um, who let's say is not so pro-establishment um, as a political party. So basically, I think that uh, there was an impact of uh, trying, you know, of of, of seeing that uh, there was some uncertainty uh, coming from the UK. So let's. Let's try to go to, to the things that we already know that work. Uh, maybe sometimes they do not work, 
but that we know that uh, this is not uncertain. So, uh, so let's not add uh, more uncertainty to the uncertainty uh, that we uh, are already living and that we will live uh, with Brexit. I think that it was kind of a vaccination uh, effect. It's important to underline that Spain is a very pro-European country, both the elites and the public opinion. So from the Spanish point of view, was not the fear of being affected by the domino effect, but the other member states and the entire process of European integration being affected. The mainstream approach was that Brexit was a very bad idea and was used in the domestic debate, for example, for criticizing Catalan independentism as something connected to Brexit or to criticize the new right-wing Nationalist Party box as something similar to Brexit. That's a very interesting point. (laughs) How has the perception of the UK and Brexit in Spain evolved and developed following Cameron's decision to call the in-out referendum, um, its view on the new settlement and the subsequent negotiations? Well, the perception of the UK, that's a very, that's a very interesting question because, um, well, we, we, we have this, this impression that for historical reasons, including, including Gibraltar, and the relation between Spain and UK are bad, or the perception of the UK in Spain is, is negative. No? It, it, uh, it's interesting that in, in Portugal, uh, uh, normally says that this is the the old friend or the old ally of of United Kingdom, precisely in in reaction to to the Spanish historical historical background of being much closer to to France and and, and opposed to to Britain. Well, this is history, and it's true that both countries had a, uh, an imperial empire in the past. Uh, but the truth, the truth is that the, the perception, the, the image of UK in Spain is, is, is in generally very, very, very good. I mean, in terms of culture, uh, studying the language, um, music, uh, cinema, uh, literature. So I really think that, that, again, the, that the people in Spain appreciate very much. In a kingdom, this is a, the idea of reputation of for being a very serious country, a very pragmatic country. So here it comes the, 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 the answer to your question. It has been affected very negatively, very negatively, because, but, but, but precisely because the, the, the image was very, very good and, 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 and has improved in the last years. I mean, the last year until 2016. So this idea of United Kingdom, not only as a, as a, as a, I mean, as a, as a great power in the past, but also as a modern country, uh, part of the European Union, uh, and was a very attractive country for, for, for living, uh, for working, for studying. So yes, uh, suddenly, to realize that uh, Britons are no longer pragmatic and are no longer uh, uh, contributing to the European Union from uh, from a critical point of view, but seeing, look, we are we are just living. This has absolutely affected. And then after that, all the process, looking to the Parliament, looking to the incapacity of the of the government of Theresa May for uh, ratifying the, the the deal. So. I, I really think that, that that in terms of the of this reputation has has suffered the that the kingdom image in Spain. Great. So, um, just a few questions about the the, the negotiations. Um, many observers have been surprised by the degree of unity on the EU side, um, especially during the negotiations on the future relationship, where it was believed that economic self interest would somehow come to the fore, drive member state positions, and it would be difficult for the EU to sustain a united front. Why didn't that happen in your view? Well, uh, I think it, it has to do with 
what I just mentioned about the fear of the domino effect. So the point here is for Spain in June 2016, the fear that other member states following the example of the United Kingdom or other countries trying to free ride in the in the negotiation. And I'm thinking in, in for example, in, in some Scandinavian country, Netherlands, some Central Eastern Poland, or even perhaps Germany. So when you give so much importance to the European integration process, I mean, for Spain, this is the, 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 the absolutely top priority for, for your, not just for your European policy, but also for your, even for your own uh, uh, internal project as a country and, and to modernize the economy, to normalize your foreign policy. So for Spain, the European Union is paramount. I mean, and, and so when you are so worried about a process in which uh, United Kingdom may be the first piece in this, the domino effect, you uh, try to uh, to contract that with given uh, given a strength and uh, to the commission in the negotiations. So the, the surprise from the Spanish point of view would be more why all the member states have been so united. So it's not a surprise that Spain uh, underlined that. So uh, even if even if of course there are many many interests for, for the Spanish sector, I mean the agriculture, fisheries, uh, some companies, investment, but 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 the, the long term, the big picture of the European integration was 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 absolutely dominant. In the in the process, in the exercise for politicians and public opinion to to digest uh, Brexit. Yeah, I mean, it, it was no surprise at all uh, that Spain's uh, top priority was to maintain uh, EU unity um, and to to keep the red lines also uh, from the EU side, which were which were agreed by EU twenty seven. Let let's not uh, forget that that would. Uh, uh, incorporate uh, not only the sequencing of the negotiations, but also the fact that the four freedoms uh, could not be uh, divisible. I think that this is also very important, uh, you know, for a country such as such as ours. But that does not mean uh, either that Spain would not have been, uh, you know, trying to influence the negotiation from the inside, and because it wanted and it wants, you know, a relation to be as strong as possible, as uh, economic interdependent as possible. But again, as possible, uh, you cannot uh, compromise the four freedoms or, or other parts um, that are essential for for uh, for EU unity, which is again top priority for Spain. Well, we'll come on to to what has been particularly important for Spain um, a bit later. But one of the curiosities I, I think has been how you know one can understand EU solidarity, one can understand um, wanting to um, support, defend the rights of EU citizens living in the UK. But what about um, the importance given to the Irish border by the EU? Was that was that an issue to, for Spain? So I, I don't think that it was an issue at all. I, I do think that uh, the Irish pointed out that this was very important for them, that it was essential for them from the very, very beginning. And I, and I think that the Spanish negotiators uh, and the Spanish administration as a whole, you know, saw the point on that. And the only thing that really wanted, you know, uh, in return, uh, was also some uh, some capacity from the others uh, to understand that uh, its uh, sovereignty claims or uh, sovereign demands or sovereignty issues, let's say, uh, were also uh, corresponded. And that, of course, uh, would first and foremost uh, include Gibraltar. Okay. Well, we, we, let, let, let's discuss the, the, the very sort of particular issues that... Um, 
that Spain has. That, that there, there are a number of these, and and I think again, it it sort of illustrates quite how remarkable in many ways um, the unity of the of the EU twenty seven has been. So there's a strong commercial relationship that you mentioned, um, investment um, from from Spain to UK, from UK to to Spain. Um, there's Spanish citizens living in the UK. There's UK citizens um, living in Spain. You know, we're talking very large numbers here. We're talking about whole whole sort of communities. And um, there's fish and there's um, Gibraltar. How did they affect Spain's approach to the negotiations? And and has Spain been very has been Spain been happy that its interests have been effectively represented in the EU's negotiating positions? Well, the, the, it is interesting that that. Uh, uh, except for Gibraltar, and we may say something about Gibraltar later, um, all the other all the other issues, I mean, fisheries, uh, commercial interest, the, the, the right of, of Spaniards living in the UK, uh, were shared by other member states. Uh, so this is very, very, uh, obviously, this is very important to understand why Spain was Relatively, in, I mean, easy with the uh, uh, comfortable with the idea of uh, a, a, a unified negotiating position behind the Commission, uh, and understanding that most member states uh, were going to to share the same the same interests of Spain. What's up? Two peculiarities in the Spanish position. The first one is that Spain is the only case in which there are more. Uh, expats, British expats living here than Spaniards living on the, in the UK. So it's very different, for example, when you compare to Poland. For Poles, uh, they have so many uh, fellow citizens living in the UK and virtually no Britain living in Poland. So for Spain, it was, was important that at the same time that you are protecting the right of your nationals in the UK, that the rights of Britons were preserved in Spain. So Spain has the, the, the interest in, in, in not, uh, in, in, in trying to, to keep uh, tourists or residents uh, relatively easy in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the deal, in the future, uh, in the future deal. That, that's why Spain was not particularly hard because it would be suffered twice if you have a very bad agreement regarding the right of your citizens, but then you reciprocate. And the second point is Gibraltar. And Gibraltar is, a, is, is something peculiar. It's not comparable to, of course, to Northern Ireland, but to some extent, as Salvador has said, it has some similarities. So the idea is, well, we are happy with the, United, with the European Union represented by the Commission, a very united negotiating position, but just take into account that we have a special, uh, a very, very special, very peculiar issue, which is Gibraltar. Yes, I mean, I, I don't know if I can ask you to, to sort of explain to our listeners what the issue with Gibraltar is. Gibraltar is is issue with two, well, with many, many, many dimensions, but basically two, we, we can summarize with two dimensions. The first one is the claim of sovereignty, and the second one is the modus vivendi, so the, the relation on the ground, which is a very, very sensitive part of Spain, southern Spain, across, I mean, the, in, in, in Northern Africa, in, well, regarding the, the, the sovereignty claim, uh, Spain accepts that Gibraltar is British. It's, it's British because it was, was given to the, to the British crown in the 18th century and, and, and actually has been uh, longer as British territory than Spanish territory. Well, there is a, a second claim regarding the isthmus, which ha, which was occupied later, and then Spain and and when the airport is is built, 
and Spain claims that the isthmus was not ceded in this Treaty of Utrecht in, in, in 1714, so I don't, I So, well, Spain tried to, uh, tries to convince United Kingdom that in, in, in 21st century to, to have a colony in other European country, which is a partner, which is a, a, a member state of NATO, of European Union, is quite anachronic and has been benefited from the United Nations resolution that Gibraltar should be decolonized. Of course, the problem here is the, the opinion, the, the, the majoritarian opinion, or but basically 95% of people in Gibraltar who want to, who want to remain as, as British. So Spain has accepted that, that the only solutions would be something uh, similar to co-sovereignty or something like that. And I think that, that this may be accepted by, by London and it's more difficult than being accepted by, by, by the government and the people of Gibraltar. But this is regarding sovereignty. But then the problem is that in the day-to-day, -day, uh, we have a problem regarding taxation. Uh, Gibraltar is something similar to a tax haven, uh, in particular regarding corporate or taxation to uh, tobacco, for example. Uh, also with irregular migration, Gibraltar is across North Africa. So uh, illegal traffics, uh, and the problem, uh, environmental problem, problem with 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 a a fisher, Spanish fishermen in Gibraltar waters, problem with the airport. So even if we even if we decide that sovereignty uh, is not an issue to be negotiated, uh, I mean Spain, even if uh, if Spain of course uh, doesn't renounce to the claim of, of sovereignty, but Spain has said that that Gibraltar is legally British, even if it, it, it is the case. We have a problem for the day-to-day -day life in many areas, such as environment, fisher, fisheries, the airport, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, well, the the, the 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 point is that the United Kingdom joined the European Union before Spain, and when the United Kingdom joined the European Union, uh, Gibraltar was considered as part of the uh, internal market, but not as part of the customs union, and this has given Gibraltar many benefits, many privileges regarding taxation regarding, I mean, uh, place for investment. Uh, so Spain wanted to take advantage of, of Brexit negotiation to uh, balance, to improve the, 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 the capacity to shape uh, policies on, on Gibraltar. Uh, so that, that, that's why the, the negotiation has, has been difficult on Gibraltar, because the idea was uh, that any future agreement between the United Kingdom and the European Union was not automatically extended to Gibraltar unless Spain uh, agrees with that. Uh, in particular, because it is affecting uh, policies, uh, so investment, trade, taxation, etc., etc., environment, etc. So, was the opportunity not to regain the sovereignty of Gibraltar that that wasn't in the, on the agenda, but to improve the the the, the modus vivendi in the in the in the in Gibraltar and the surrounding region. Which is, by the way, one of the poorest uh, parts of Spain. Salvi, is that is that an, uh, an analysis with which you agree? Or? What I would say here um, is the fact that um, during negotiations um, with the European Union, uh, you know, with the UK and the European Union, the withdrawal agreement negotiations. Of course, uh, this element was. Uh, uh, taking into account very uh, consistently by Spain and and Spain was in general uh, very favorable to to what was negotiated and agreed, but then when it saw 
you know, the, 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 the small characters of what was negotiated uh, when it came to Gibraltar, then, uh, you know, some people in administration got very nervous because uh, some uh, interpretations uh, could be done uh, that would jeopardize the whole thing for Spain. So basically that uh, caused in, in November 28, when the, when the agreement was put in place, uh, a, a big crisis, I would say, um, that uh, led to many negotiations inside uh, the European Union with uh, the, our Sherpa, uh, with our Secretary of State, with our Minister uh, for Foreign Affairs, uh, and also with the, pre the President of the Government, the Prime Minister of Spain, you know, announcing that they would be, they would, they wouldn't be able to agree on the final agreement uh, if uh, there were no changes. Uh, when it came to, to Gibraltar. In the end, there were no changes to the text, but uh, some letters, um, you know, specifying some, uh, some elements uh, were also written and put in place there. And all together, um, uh, together with the, with the text uh, of, the, of the withdrawal agreement, were, uh, were acceptable uh, for Spain. But, you know, as this is a very sensitive element uh, and um, you know, sovereignty is something that uh, you may accept the fact that things are not the way you would like to be, but uh, this does not mean that you're renouncing to things or you're, uh, you know, preconditioned in the future. Of course, when you have uh, such uh, important negotiations like this one, uh, you need to, to make sure that uh, nothing is going to, going to be put into words that would cause a harm uh, to uh, the possible uh, or the, the, the possibilities uh, of the future uh, for what you want to solve in a, in a more positive way for your interest. And I do think that, um, you know, Spain showed that in, uh, in November, November 2018. And, and I do think that right now, <laughs> nobody in the European Union is not aware of the fact that Gibraltar is a very important thing to Spain uh, in a day-to-day -day basis. Does this mean that Gibraltar is kind of, you know, shot through all of the different provisions of the of the treaty? What, what I mean by that is, for example, when aviation was liberalised, um, there had to be a special um, agreement with respect to Gibraltar. So, you know, this was in the late 1980s. And I wondered if this meant that in every sectoral policy that might fall within the, the, the future relationship agreement, there's a special provision for Gibraltar. Well, this is going to be a problem in the in the future. Well, it, it may be, maybe. It depends very much on, on the behavior of Gibraltar. So how Gibraltar authorities, they measure their own strength. Uh, if they capture uh, London or uh, and also the way in which Spain is reasonable in, in, its, in, in, in the demands of Spain. Of course, Spain said, well, the extension of, I don't know, for example, something regarding... Um, airlines, considering the problem with the airport. Uh, well, Spain has a, a reasonable claim regarding uh, a chair use of this airport. This airport, as said, has been uh, built upon an isthmus, which is not included in the, in the, in the Treaty of Utrecht. Or if Spain uh, wants access to the so-called Gibraltar waters that are not, are not recognized for, by, by Spain, for, the, for traditional Spanish fishermen in the area, or that there is a corporate taxation, which is, uh, well, there is a minimum corporate taxation on Gibraltar. So it depends very much on why Spain is vetoing the extension of the, of, the, of the deal to Gibraltar. 
if it's reasonable, I really think that the 26 and the European institutions are going to be behind Spain. If, uh, so it depends very much uh, the, the different sides, so London, Madrid, Gibraltar and Brussels. But the truth is that according to the legal provision, any extension to Gibraltar of, a, of a, an agreement between Europe, European Union and the United Kingdom in the future, for, specifically for Gibraltar, has to be accepted uh, by, by, by Spain. And take into account that from the European Union point of view, but also from the British constitutional point of view, Gibraltar is not part of the United Kingdom. Gibraltar is a territory. Uh, but yes, yes, you are right. You are right. This, is, this may be a problem. And it depends very much on how the different government in the future, Spain has the promise, or, or I mean the promise, the legal guarantee uh, by, by Brussels and by the other national capitals that they will be behind Spain in this, uh, in this position of uh, accepting that Spain has this veto right. Just two, just two very quick um, elements I'd like, to, I'd like to underline. First, uh, as Nacho mentioned, there is no automaticity that does not exist. There is an agreement between the UK and, and the European Union. Okay, just, you know, there's no automaticity uh, for that agreement to be part uh, for, for Gibraltar. That does not work like that. So basically it works the other way around. So if, um, you know, the UK and, and, the, and Spain are going to try to find agreements to solve the situation on a daily basis, to improve the situation on a daily basis. And then, of course, uh, some of the agreements are going to be uh, agreed uh, by the UK and, and, and the Commission and the European Union. And then we will see if those agreements are going to be put in place for Gibraltar or not. But this is not the important, the, the important part, not at this point. We will see in the future, but not at this point. I was going to ask about the, the more general picture. I just wondered if um, how, how Spain felt about the task force as a device for um, ensuring essentially that every member state was able to contribute towards the negotiating position. Um, it wasn't just going to be a, um, controlled by the large, um, the larger member states, specifically by um, Berlin and Paris. And, and I wondered if, um, you know, what, what, the, what the general view in Spain was about um, the job that Michel Barnier has done as, as the chief EU negotiator. Well, uh... To, to understand uh, the Spanish position on that, again, to, be, to take into account that Spain is a very pro-European country, so normally no fear of, uh, of Brussels uh, leading uh, negotiation and, and speaking on behalf of the 27. And more interestingly, no fear of Paris and Berlin uh, leading the, the 27. Uh, and uh, the, the for, men, for, for several reasons, including that, that Spain considers himself, itself uh, a country which is close to France and close to Germany, more or less. Well, of course, we know there are disagreements between Paris and Berlin regarding the future of European integration, but, but Spain uh, tends to share uh, some uh, issues, for example, economic governance with France and other issues, for example, foreign policy and transatlantic relations with Germany. So, um, and, um, and, and Spain is normally uh, comfortable with the idea of uh, France and Germany leading the European Union. But of course, uh, the, the, the settlement of having the Commission uh, leading uh, with, uh, with, uh, well, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the member states uh, following, uh, this is the, the principal agent uh, dilemma, the, the, the member state following the task force uh, was 
I mean, was a perfect model for Spain. So it, it, it's fine that the Commission leads. It's fine that uh, member states are are behind that. And, and if France and Germany are uh, being very proactive, it is also fine for Spain. So Spain doesn't consider itself a, a, a small member state. It's not a large member state, Ada, it's true. Uh, but if you are a mid-side member state, uh, very close to France and Germany, and very pro-European and very close to the Commission, so that was not, not a real problem. So the real problem was uh, lack of unity. That, that was the fear. So uh, anything leading to unity, being intergovernmental or being supranational, was fine for Spain. And, and if Spain has to choose, a very strong commission is, 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 is better than France and Germany uh, being the more the, 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 the leaders of, of the negotiations. So I, I really think that, that, that the model for Spain was, was quite good. One of, one of the emerging sort of characterizations in the UK about the way that Brexit has gone, and particularly the position that the EU has taken, is that it's um, it's cut off its nose to spite its face. Um, in other words, that it's taken a very bureaucratic approach to negotiations that haven't really delivered, um, an, are unlikely to deliver agreement, an agreement that's in the mutual interests of both parties, both the UK and the EU. You know, if you think about security and defence and, and you know, all of these other issues also. I wondered what you thought about that. I wonder what the perspective in, in Madrid is about that. Yeah, of course, uh, many talks about this, um, not from the Madrid side, I, I would say, but uh, uh, here in Madrid, everyone reads the Financial Times and uh, and The Economist and, and, and also those those newspapers talk about bureaucracy in the European Union. So you know, this is something uh, that everyone everyone knows and, and is well informed of uh, of the views from the from the UK side. But um, you know the important thing here uh, it has been raised a couple of times is what was EU unity. Uh, but uh, second element, um, I, I do think it was 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 important, you know, for Spain, but also for the others, uh, was the fact that you know you cannot you cannot compromise the future of the European Union by uh, creating a framework that uh, permits uh, some member state that is leaving the project to be better uh, better off uh, once you leave the project. So this could not happen. You know, Spain, as I said before, uh, was you know very keen on 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 finding strong agreement um, between between the UK and the European Union, but uh, this would never be at the cost of uh, you know compromising EU unity and um, the indivisibility of the four freedoms, or uh, just uh, creating some sort of domino effect that could um, could be done or could be caused because uh, the UK now living is, is much better off than when it was part of the European Union. You know, there were fears, uh, Hungary, Poland, uh, other places in Europe where you saw the polls and, and you saw that, um, you know, lots of people uh, would, uh, would say before the referendum, before the UK referendum, that maybe if there were to be a referendum in their country, they would vote in favor of leaving uh, the European Union. And of course, uh, for a country so pro-European uh, as this is the case of Spain, you know that was that was a that would have been a complete disaster. Uh, so basically, the negotiations is not about being you know uh, too rigid, but about you know finding compromises between the 20, 27, which is by the way you know very difficult to do, 
I cannot tell you that you, you, you know about this, but you know that so many meetings that were led by the commission, but where all the member states and you know the meetings and seminars, they call them, lots of them they call them the seminars to see in the different areas uh, where uh, your national interests are and where we can find common ground and so on. And this is very difficult. I mean, uh, there are lots of things to be discussed, not only for the withdrawal agreement, but also you know for the future relationship uh, where Firstly, uh, 27 have to find common ground and, and common common agreement. So basically, if they find common ground, find a common agreement, of course, then you are very rigid because you have done the negotiation between uh, your peers. So so once you do them, then you, the scope for negotiations with the other part, with the UK in this in this sense, you know, it is very it's not so wide. Let's say it's not so wide. So it's not so open. Well, thank you both for that. How do you think that the result of the U.S. election will affect future transatlantic relations? I, I think they have affected the negotiations um, because I think that Boris Johnson was was playing with with time. Um, I, I think that um, he would he would have been more aggressive uh, right now. I, I don't mean a few months ago uh, when he was very aggressive in the negotiations, um, also with the internal market bill and so on. But uh, right now he would be more aggressive if uh, Trump had won the elections. But, but now we know uh, he hasn't won the elections, so, so he has, uh, so Boris Johnson has to uh, a little bit change uh, direction or, or nuance um, his, his position in the negotiation table. Uh, we will see it um, in the end, uh, Biden is the next president of the United States because we know that Trump uh, you know, will do anything uh, in, his, in his power uh, to, to remain in place, but it's going to be very difficult for him. Anyway, let's consider um, uh, the fact that, uh, that Biden is going to be the, the, the new president of the, of the United States. And I do think that uh, this would be good um, in general. <laughs> but for multilateralism, I think it will be good. Um, I, I think it will be good also, you know, for things that interest uh, all of us, uh, not only in Spain, but, you know, worldwide, fighting against climate change. Uh, you know, the, the trade wars that we've been living also with, with Europe. Uh, and when it comes to Brexit itself and, and the negotiations, I do, I do think that, um, you know, Boris Johnson is not going to be able to uh, first sell to the audience that uh, a, a, a commercial or trade agreement with the U.S. is really there uh, because it has uh, someone there like Trump who really wanted to do something also somehow to punish the European Union. Uh, he will not be able to do that. Uh, and at the same time, he knows he cannot jeopardize the Good Friday Agreement uh, because uh, Joe Biden has said so many times, as you know, he has this uh, Irish heritage, that this is very important for him and he wants an agreement between the UK and the European Union to be put in place. So I think that Boris Johnson will, will place in a more, uh, let's say, smart way. And, and, and this will have an effect for UK-EU uh, relations, but also for the transatlantic relation as a whole. Thank you. <laughs> um, going though to the deal, no deal thing, how ready is Spain for the end of the UK transition and the possibility of a no deal? Well, I think Spain was not prepared for a no deal two years ago. Two years ago was really, I mean, even if the authorities asked to... Um, the regions, the companies to accept the possibility of a no deal. Well, the truth is that everybody expected that uh, before the, the end of the two years period, an agreement on, on, on divorce 
the that agreement was reached, but but the problem with the ratification at that time. I mean, I really think that the economic sectors, I mean, tourism uh, companies exporting to UK companies or or, or investors importing uh, products from 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 UK were not were not prepared not prepared at all. But with that experience, with the experience that we were on the brink of, of a no deal two years ago, I really think that um, both the authorities and the, and the economic sector uh, now have accepted the possibility of a no deal. And in these two years has been passed legislation and some, I mean, some measures regarding, for example, borders control, capstones control. And then, well, the pandemic came uh, and now we are in a very different situation with a very uh, with a very dark economic forecast. But I really think that, that the possibility of no deal now is considered is 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 is, is accepted. It's not is no longer considered as something impossible. I have to agree with Nacho in the sense that uh, you know it was un- inconceivable two years ago that this could in the end result in a no deal Brexit. But having been there, I have to tell you that last year um, in in September last year. August, September, even part of October, uh, there was, you know, lots of fear that um, Boris Johnson, with Boris Johnson came into power, you know, there would be a no deal scenario. So I think that last year, uh, everyone, you know, took really uh, that into serious consideration, despite the fact that uh, in the beginning of 2019, yes, uh, some contingency planning was already passed, you know, um, in Spain. I, I do think that, I think, uh, I'm, not, I'm not 100% uh, sure, but I think that Spain was the first country that passed, passed legislation uh, on contingency planning uh, as such. But in February, March 2019, when the legislation was passed, nobody thought that this would be a possibility, a real possibility. But in September, October, uh, everyone... Uh, you know, was very, very afraid of the fact that this could happen. And right now, uh, one year after that, no deal Brexit didn't happen. But now there's the second window of, uh, of opportunity for a no deal Brexit. So we have now, after the transition period, a second window of opportunity for no deal Brexit. And I think that everyone is well aware that this can happen. But everyone knows that no matter the contingency planning that you're doing and that you have done in the past, no deal Brexit would be a disaster. Thank you. A couple of questions just to to, to finish on. Um, one of it is a bit sort of mischievous, maybe, but thinking of possible futures, do you think that Madrid would be reluctant to admit an independent Scotland to the European Union? Well, uh, this is a very interesting question. Perhaps reluctant is a very good concept on, on, on that. I, 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 it's, in, it's, inter- it's important to clarify that Madrid have never said it would veto an, an independent Scotland as, as a member of the European Union. This is important. I mean, there, there, there has been some um, uh, the, 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 the British government, the Conservative Party, in, in the referendum 2014, the Scotland referendum said that well, Spain would veto uh, and has been used in the domestic debate in Scotland and the UK. And this is not true. Never. Uh, the, the, there's no official statement or informal statement of the Spanish government and the and the and the Spanish diplomacy or political important political parties on that, uh, it would be impossible for Spain to 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 say this. this the, 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 here we have basically a problem of of legality, 
so if this is a legal process, an agreed process of independence, uh, well, it, it, it will find the thing that in the in the last 20 years, so many countries in so many states in the world have achieved statehood, uh, new states, and, and Spain have recognized all of them, except for Kosovo, as it's true that in Kosovo, but precisely in Kosovo, uh, the, the, the exceptional case was because Spanish point of view was an, uh, an unilateral declaration and a legal declaration of independence. But all the other cases, of course, because we are not including here the, the cases, I mean, in, in, in the Georgia or, or Armenia or North Cyprus that are not being recognized by the entire international community. But when the rest of the European member have recognized, all the Kosovo has been an exception, precisely because of, of interpretation about unilateralism and as Of course, for Spain, uh, as a plurinational country, uh, if you want, uh, we are similar to UK, we are similar to Canada or to Belgium. For 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 a, for a country such as Spain, it's very important that I mean I I I'm 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 not talking from the point of view of course of Catalan independentists, but from the mainstream point of view of Spain, it's important that other multinational states are preserved. So for Spain, it would be a very very bad news if UK breaks up. Um, and Scotland becomes independent because it's, you have more uh, countries that are in uh, uh, nation states and not multinational states. This is, this is, of course, this is bad for your own model in which you are not a pure uh, uh, nation state. So it is in the interest of Spain that the United Kingdom uh, is preserved as a multinational country. That said, if Scotland becomes independent after a legal, constitutional, and agreed process. Spain uh, would uh, recognize Scotland, I mean, the very first day after that, following London recognition would be Madrid recognition, no doubt about that. Of course, Scotland would be a very good candidate to join the European Union. And so our final question is, um, how do you see the development of Spain's future relationship with the UK? I really think it's an opportunity. I, I, I mean it. I mean, it's an opportunity for, I mean, for, for bilateral relations. Bilateral relations has has hasn't been particularly good during the membership during the years of, of, of membership of the United Kingdom and European Union. Why? Well, perhaps because of very different view about the future of the European integration process, perhaps because of Gibraltar. So when you look to the how intense are the commercial links, the the the, the people-to-people links, uh, it's quite amazing that the both government have not been able to develop a a good relation, except for Tony Blair and Aznar in the in the late 90s. Well, uh, the, the the relation among leader and the national government has been that Spain has insti- have institutionalized relation uh, with France, with Portugal, with Italy, with Germany, even with Poland. We have uh, an annual or biannual summits, but never with UK. So n- now that UK is no longer a member of the European Union, and so you don't have to disagree because you don't meet in the council, it's true that there are so many issues in which both countries can cooperate, including, uh, I mean, uh, similar vision about open trade relation with the Americas in general, North and South, in security in North Africa, in the Mediterranean. And so, of course, people to people relation, because the the relation is so, so intense. So many issues that were regulated by the European Union now have to be regulated on a bilateral basis. So I really think that is an opportunity. It's a challenge, but also an opportunity for improving a relation 
that has been punching uh, below the, the wave uh, when you compare with the economy, when you compare with society, when you compare. So it's, it's much more intense social and economic uh, relation than the political relation so far. I, I think that, uh, you know, challenge and opportunity are the words, are the words. So obviously you had a framework that, uh, that worked uh, quite well, not on the political level, as Sancho mentioned, but on the other. 18 million people came to Spain and the UK every single year as tourists. More than 300,000 people up in the UK lived here in Spain, uh, and more than 150,000 Spaniards lived in the UK. Lots of, in general, uh, people-to-people ties and relations. You know, here everyone tries to, to learn English, tries, huh? I'm saying, but tries. Especially it goes, you know, to, to English, uh, UK English academia, not, not so much to, to US English uh, academia. Even if uh, everyone watches series or, or, and films from the US film industry, everyone tries to learn the, the proper English, let's say the UK, UK English. Just kidding, but it's, it's a reality. It's a reality. So basically what I think that we, ha- we try to do, we, we will have to try to do, uh, is to maintain those ties, to, to try to strengthen even more uh, those ties, those bilateral ties, cultural ties, uh, and, and to try not to lose too much uh, from the economic side. Because uh, again, uh, commercial ties there, but also investment from the UK, Spain, but and from Spain to the UK, lots of firms uh, from the UK, uh, you know, working here and, and the other way around, big, small, uh, medium-sized firms, you know, it's huge. If you really take a look at the numbers, and if you haven't done it, um, you realize how dependent is the relation between both parts. That we have done so many good things in the last few months. Um, we've uh, come up not only with the withdrawal agreement uh, with the UK and, and, and the European Union, but also with several uh, separate agreements, the memorandums of understanding that were done between the, the UK and Spain regarding Gibraltar, uh, tobacco smuggling, regarding you know, many things that, that are important in a day-to-day basis, but also the fiscal treaty was agreed between the UK and Spain. This was the very first uh, bilateral agreement treaty, treaty really, that uh, had been put in place in the, since the Treaty of Utrecht between the UK and, and Spain. It had to do with, you know, fiscality in Gibraltar. So I think there's a scope uh, for an improvement of, of relationship between the UK and Spain, the political side, of course. And I do think that we, we can come up with interesting and different uh, solutions uh, for that problem that we have together. Not going to happen in one year, two years, uh, let's face it. But in five, 10 years, 15 years, why not? And then in the meantime, let's uh, improve the situation. And I think, I think this is very important. This is going to be a challenge, as I said, but also a really good opportunity. Maybe, maybe the biggest opportunity we've had uh, in uh, two or three centuries. Salvador Lales, uh, Nacho Molino, thank you so much. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you for listening to us. Thanks to our guests. Please join us for the next episode of Negotiating Brexit, Views from the Member States.